How is everybody? Wonderful. Today I'm going to be speaking on the hope of Jesus Christ. Um, Because today is Christmas and we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And we may be hearing the story of the Nativity for the first time or we may have heard it numerous times. Regardless, the birth of Jesus somehow never ceases to lose lose its impact. The fact that his birth, his life and his death made a way to reunite us to God the Father. Emmanuel, this is his name, meaning God with us. And yes, God was physically with people at the time, but it also, through Jesus, that um, he restored people to God. And when Jesus was resurrected on the third day, the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn, symbolizing that all could have access to the holy place without the usual sacrifices and atonement at the time. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. As we ponder on the birth of our Savior, there are a few points I wanted to look at when we consider the story of the Nativity. I would like to start at the end of the story, and we know it's not really a story per se, this is this factual, it is history, but I want to start at the end of the book and start at the book of Revelation and see how Jesus is represented there. And then I'm going to take another step back and then I'm going to look at the cross. And then I'm going to take another step back and I'm going to look at the life of Christ. And then lastly, I'll take another step back and look at the birth of Christ. And each time, I want to pull out two concepts today. I want to look at how Jesus was represented to the people and how the people responded to Jesus. So we'll look at the revelation, we'll look at the cross, we'll look at Jesus' life, and then we'll look at his birth. And... um, yeah, and for those who, who move in Christian circles, the gospel is often characterized as the upside-down gospel because of its contrary nature, because of what we see and experience in today's world. So that's why today I chose to start at the end and then move towards the beginning. And each time, hopefully, what I'm looking to do is to unlock some of the beauty of our Savior's birth and the hope that it brings us today. So we're going to start with the eternity, and we're going to look at Revelation 7, verse 9 to 17. And it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to say that one more time. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and served him day and night in the temple. And who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so when we consider this, we look at how is Jesus represented to the people and how do the people respond? Well, we see Jesus on the throne presented in all his glory and majesty. We see Jesus as the lamb and as the shepherd. And we see the remnants that we see in Isaiah 61, that there'll be no more hunger, there'll be no more pain, no more thirst. The captives are standing free before their saviour and they will have springs of living water. And we look at how the people respond. We've, we've said it here. Blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is how the people are responding in the presence of God. And we know that every tear and pain ever experienced will be wiped away. This is the picture of the revelation. And so when we consider this picture, the thing that we are headed towards when we choose to live as Christians every day, when we consider the difficult situations we might face when we are persecuted for standing up for what is right, this is the image that we are fighting for. When we choose to speak up and tell people about Jesus or refuse to use his name in vain, this is the king that we are doing it for. Or when we choose to live godly lives and pure lives when those around us take part in debauchery, this is the heavenly father that we are doing it for. Our Holy Father. So, being presented to Christ on the throne, us in utmost worship, we finally see the fullness of the heart of the Father for the nations and generations. Even more than that, we see how God has wiped away every tear and pain and sin from his people. We're now going to turn and look to the death of Jesus on the cross. And we read from John 19 and in preparation for um, Jesus getting to the cross, there's, there's obviously a lot of context, but I've just taken a small snippet from John 19, <clears throat> um, verse 16. It says, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had noticed, uh, oh, sorry, <coughs> Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather the man claimed to be King of the Jews. But thankfully, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So as we look um, at the scriptures around the context of, of Jesus on the cross, there are two images that I wanted to pull out how Jesus was represented to the people. The one was dying to himself and in preparation for the crucifixion when he was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before. He said in Luke 22 verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
The second one I wanted to look at was when he took on the sins of the world. We know that as he was, as he was lying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now I want to look at the other side. How did, Jesus, how did the people respond to Jesus dying on the cross? We see in Matthew 27, the Pharisees said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. We also look at people coming to the cross and looking at Jesus. In Luke 23, it says, uh, wanting to release Pilate, <coughs> uh, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Matthew 27, he says, um, people coming, sorry, coming to the cross said, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross, if you are the son of God. And even the disciples, when we look at their response, um, Peter, on the night before, um, said um, in Matthew 26, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. And these um, scriptures capture a few images into um, what was the crucifixion and just the lengths that Jesus was willing to go in order to reunite the Father to his people. The people, on the other hand, were not convinced of who Jesus was. Even the disciples were scattered at the time. But this was prophesied by Jesus beforehand because the cross needed to be, uh, the cross needed to be fulfilled. Um, his death needed to happen for the, the, the veil of, to the Holy of Holies to be torn now I want to quickly look um, at some examples from his life. In Mark 2, verse 13 to 17, it says, Then he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick are come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And when we look at Jesus' life and how he's represented to the people, we see that he was not necessarily sitting in, in high places of governance or offices or anything like that, but here he is sitting, reclining and eating with tax collectors. We see another example of where um, Jesus was invited to go um, eat at one of the Pharisees in Luke 7. Um, and a woman comes in to come and um, cry at his feet and wash his feet with perfume. And actually the Pharisee that had invited him to his home was quite disgusted by this. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. <clears throat> but thankfully, Jesus being Jesus, said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of these will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt uh, forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then the other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this that who even, who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so we know when we look on the other side of the coin, when we look at the Pharisees and how they responded to Jesus, we know that they questioned every single action and deed that Jesus did. We saw it with the tax collectors, and we saw it with the woman who, who came to wash his feet. Even the, some of the people that were around him, there were many followers who followed him, but even some people, it was too much. We know the story of the rich man who came to Jesus and said, I have done all these things. What do I have to do next? And Jesus said to him, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And unfortunately, he was not able to do that. And even the disciples grew in affection for Jesus. We know that they pulled their boats up on the shore, and they went with Jesus. Um, and they, they lived with him day by day um, as Jesus went around from city to city. In Mark 4, it's in verse 35, it says, That day, when evening came, he said to the disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we know that it was an extraordinary life. He wasn't like other kings or gods. He didn't want status or recognition of who he was. And in fact, he asked people not to, to tell others who he was. He wanted to connect with people. He wanted to loose, loosen their captive chains. He wanted to set them free from their burdens and let them know that their faith has made them well. He could have chose to live in the finest buildings and have the finest clothes and network with the best people and connections. But yet, he forfeited it all. Why? When we look back on the story from Revelation to his death on the cross, we're starting to see something brewing here. Jesus wasn't coming to occupy earth. He was, he was coming to reunite the heart of the Father to the people so that people could stand as nations and generations in awe and wonder of their God and King. And lastly, we're now going to take one step back and look at the birth of Christ. And this is a long one, so bear with me, folks. But... It's really important that, yeah, I think the scriptures around the nativities are really beautiful. 
And this really encapsulates the essence of the hope that we carry. So we will get there. So hang in there. Right. In Luke 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Um, this was the first census that took place in Quirinius, uh, while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to, Ju to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he l belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And while the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a great sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favour rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child. And all who had heard about it was amazed at what the shepherds had said. I'm going to repeat that one. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which had just been told. On the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And so when we see and we look at Jesus, we see him represented as an infant, born to a virgin mother. And some may concern, um, some may say this was the virgin birth, but we know to people around they may have considered it a scandal that an unmarried mother had had a child. But we know that um, this was immaculate conception, and Jesus was born to a virgin mother. It says in Matthew one, it says, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive <coughs> and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us." And we know that the people at the time who, who heard what had been said by the, um, the shepherds, they were all amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. We know that the three wise men came to bring gifts as following the star in the sky. But on the other hand, there was Herod who had set out to kill the Messiah he had heard about. And we read about this in Matthew 2. It says, um, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is Christ 
Where's the Christ um, <clears throat> who was to be born? And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler um, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw um, the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the, for the child to destroy him. When we consider the story, and when we consider Jesus at the end of time in all his glory, we have to ask the question, why didn't he just come in all his glory in the first place? If he'd had a big procession, a trumpet call, then we would know full well that he was the Messiah. But Christians also believe that Jesus will return a second time. And when he does return a second time, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpets of God. But in the second coming, Jesus is coming for his people in all his fullness and his glory. But the story of the nativity shows an infant in a manger, a very humble account, no processions, no trumpets, but a virgin birth in a stable to be worshipped and adored by three wise men. When we look at the end stage, the large scene with God in his glory in the book of Revelation, the beauty of the nativity begins to take hold. There was a greater cause to be achieved, to restore the Father with his people. Jesus gives us a glimpse of this in John 17, before his crucifixion. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Uh, for you have granted him authority over all people, that he might come to give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence for the glory I had with you um, before the world began. And that was his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And this Today is the hope that we carry, that God is with us. He made a way 2,000 years ago, and that's the hope that we carry out when we go into the world. We get to experience him here, now, today, personally. We are set free from the things that bond us down or, or, or uh, bog us down or, or hold us captive. 
and we can experience freedom today. The infant that is in the manger has given us hope. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. The saviour of our souls who didn't have room in the inn, but entered into the world in a manger, he came poor on our account, so that we can experience the richness of his kingdom here, now, today. And now I would like to ask that we all stand with me as we sing to our Saviour, the lover of our souls, the King who made a way for us, the hope that we hold on to until he returns again. And let us join in the words of those who are in the book of Revelations, the nations and generations, standing before God, shouting, Amen, blessing and honour and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.